Hey, pal. Well, I have pals. Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, Pal, I'm Coachable. I was about to say, hey, you know, this weekly episode as if we continue to continue weekly. Yes, continue to continue. My English uh, teacher back in high school would be very unhappy with that sentence structure. But um, thank you for your patience. Obviously, uh, we had a couple of guests lined up uh, for last week's episode and they both got down with the sickness, um, which was not ideal. So, um, you know, life happens. It doesn't always find a way. Um, and appreciative for you guys for sticking around and uh, waiting for this episode, which I can promise to you is going to be a hell of a journey. So now, before we dive into it, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks since we've recorded an episode. Um, we've got the Cricket World Cup uh, coming to its climax um, this weekend, which is going to be exciting. Australia versus India. It's almost been like it's, uh, you know, almost WrestleMania 27. It's been written in the stars that that's what it was going to be as uh, South Africa, historically, another um, horrible semi-final performance in an international cricket tournament. Um, the Lynx, they're 3-0. and So, um very much on the card-carrying bandwagon myself this year. I've always had an eye on them. Now, both eyes firmly focused on, and we've got some winning ways. And, uh, oh, yikes, news out of the Premier League last uh, last night is that uh, Everton, my beloved Toffees, finally got that uh, that sword of Damocles that was hanging over their head, that 10-point deduction, which, uh, <laughs> funnily enough, Everton have started playing some good football, so uh, it doesn't hurt too much because we're only two points away from safety but uh yeah it'd be interesting to see if there's any sort of uh lingering i guess emotional baggage and damage that comes with the penalty with that um and also some financial stuff that's going to probably come uh the toffees way as well because uh as we we know there's already been uh, a bunch of clubs lining up to sue the pants off everton so Interesting couple of weeks in sport, but uh, I won't hold you up too much here. You've been waiting so long for a new episode of Hey Pal, I'm Coachable. I'm going to go straight into our guest here. Our guest today is James Hartness. Now, uh, James has been a pro wrestler for a few years now, uh, based out of here in WA, and he's really starting to make his name uh, across the nation in terms of deathmatch wrestling. Now, Deathmatch wrestling is something we'll touch on. We we briefly, you know, scratched the surface when we were talking to Adam Parry a few weeks ago, but um, it is a really niche version of pro wrestling as, as Jimmy goes into during our interview. So I'm just going to give you guys a heads up. This is going to be a little less of a family-friendly episode that we normally do here in Hey Pal, I'm Coachable. You're still going to be coached up. You're still going to learn some things about that crazy wild world that is uh, deathmatch wrestling, but there's a little more uh, F-words than uh, normal. So, um, And I don't mean finals. I mean the you know flip, but uh, obviously you know with a little bit of uh, East London uh, mustard on that one. So, um, if you are usually of a, of a younger age, um, you just might want to skip some of this today because, uh, uh, or if you're listening to on a loudspeaker at work, which would be a very weird thing to do, maybe not the episode for you. But I can promise to you that despite the uh, the vulgarity in the language, oh geez, don't I sound proper there? But despite the uh, the language, it is such a you know fascinating interview about that crazy world um, and that crazy world within a world. It's almost like multiversal um, deathmatch wrestling. I, you got to learn some things, and you're going to shake your head in disbelief like I did. Um, Jimmy has just got a really charismatic and articulate way of phrasing things. Combine that with that um, the madness 
that is Deathmatch Wrestling. Uh, I can promise you, you're in for a good time today. So, without further ado, here's our interview with James Hartness. Well, this week's guest is uh, a man I'm very fond of, and uh, he's uh, a purveyor of an art form I'm very fond of in professional wrestling. But what's going to be interesting about our chat today is, as much as I love professional wrestling as a 35-year-old turning 15, is deathmatch wrestling is something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone, something I'm not really completely across. So the man I've got with me at the moment is making a name around the country as a deathmatch superstar. He's made his start in EPW. He's a well-respected, very charismatic son of a gun. We have none other than the king of all the emos, James Hartness. James, hey, pal. Ahoy, ahoy. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. And I probably butchered you, Monica, because you've gone through a few, but I think you've <laughs> got the basic crux of it right. You are the emo king. Yeah, King of the Emos, East London Ultra Violence. I've got about 15 Monica. I've got more Monikers than I've got matches, honestly. Oh, really? <laughs> That's a good good thing to have, though. You're marketable. And um, it certainly speaks to your career so far, which we're going to dive into a little bit. But as I touched on there, the main uh, crux of our conversation is going to be really the spirit of the show, which is me being coached up and then by uh, Transitive Properties, our listening viewership getting coached up on the art form that is deathmatch wrestling and and you and i have spoken briefly about it before uh my favorite pro wrestler of all time is mick foley yet i hate deathmatch wrestling well hate's a strong term but i'm maybe just a little bit ignorant so i'm i'm happy to dive into that rabbit hole with you and be coached up but before we get there what i like to talk about jimmy is uh, the early life how someone really gets their first introduction to whether it's sport or wrestling so tell me about growing up your first fandoms um into sport and or wrestling yeah, so um, obviously uh, the mon- the moniker is real. I did grow up in uh, South East London. Um, I was brought up in a West Ham United uh, household. Go Hammers! <laughs> so that was the that was the main um, fandom or sort of like culture I was brought up in. Was my dad and my brothers would go to West Ham every single Saturday, away games, home games, all that sort of thing. And then on the occasion, because I was very young at the time, I would go to the occasional home game to watch us lose. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of my childhood, um, I was unfortunately very very sick, so I had a lot of time to uh, be at home and playing uh, Nintendo sixty four, PlayStation, all that sort of thing. So I got heavily into like movies, video games, books, just sort of like the the escapism realm. But the one thing that obviously always brought it back was West Ham. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, West Ham, a pretty decent side now that, I mean, you probably felt like it when you were younger, when they kept losing like an Everton fan feels now, but um, how was it just you bought into it? Like you, it was a family was West Ham or bust. Um, were there any, you know, I guess footballers from an early age that, that stuck with you or just sort of the tribalism of being a West Ham fan? Um, It was definitely the tribalism of being a West Ham fan. So it was definitely like, um, when I was when I was a baby, um, it's my it's a story my mum loves to tell. Is when I was a baby, my nan when I would well, when I was crying would sing um, "Forever Blowing Bubbles," yeah. which is the West Ham team song, to like calm me down and like soothe me into a sleep or whatever. Unfortunately, from uh, my dad's perspective of the story, it made him cry because it reminded him of how fucking terrible West Ham are. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's what he's one of them sort of things of like seeing their recent success. Obviously, I've seen I watched West Ham lift the first European trophy they've had in 
oh god since my dad was a kid so yeah. like watching that with him was was an experience and um yeah I remember growing up my oldest brother wanted to be um an Arsenal fan because yeah. obviously when we were growing when we were growing up it was um the uh, the season of the Invincibles and it was Thierry oh, Henry yeah. and it was um uh, what's it uh, Van Persie and all that sort of thing mm. so there was I, I remember a brief time for about a month when my brother had an Arsenal shirt and then all of a sudden one day during the washing it went missing I and mean, he never had another <laughs> Arsenal shirt after that so um dad's never owned up to it but we all know we all know where it went oh yeah um so it was yeah it was sort of West Ham was the team but you supported specific players obviously from England yeah so I grew up uh, I grew up luckily enough with David Beckham, Wayne Rooney, Michael Owen, like really fantastic international like level football players. Mm. But I could only ever support them as long as they were wearing white or red and they were yeah. playing for England. The second Michael Owen went back to Liverpool, dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy how that is. I mean. Um, I've actually just started getting through the uh, the Beckham documentary on Netflix. And oh, it's, just, it's so good. I mean, oh, it's so good. We could go on a whole tangent about English fans. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was over in England for the Ashes and uh, without offending our English uh, um, listeners, God, they're terrible fans. But just how oh, the worst. how quickly that, that, again, that tribalism, it's like a word I'll repeat, but this is what it feels like when you're in like a stadium there and that tribalism of how quickly they turn on it um a player if it's not in you know their particular colors or you know they'll put that to a side for 90 minutes while they're wearing the england colors and then as soon as that game's over unless they did something special that not dead to me as you just said so oh, absolutely <laughs> it, it's the same even these days like i'm, I'm yeah. still in the same way yeah i mean Maybe because west ham players don't get called up but no no yet our goalkeeper who keeps on letting through actually no pickford's a champ but anyway um i just <laughs> i do find it very fascinating that you're a west ham fan because um you know in your wrestling persona you are majority of the time a bad guy and of course west ham were the bad guys in the uh in the ted lasso show so i think it's you know the black hand fits to be honest but um we are going to talk wrestling today um so how'd you get involved in that as a as a fan and uh any um, I guess favorites growing up as well. I have a feeling one of them's going to have a little bit of an English hue to it. <laughs> so, um, growing up, uh, I first got into wrestling through um, video games. Obviously, yeah. I had a lot of um, a lot of spare time. So, um, it, I grew up in a household where we didn't really have access to like adult content. I'm afraid that not like not that, but like um, <laughs> wasn't allowed to watch like Scooby Doo. I wasn't allowed. To oh watch, wow. Uh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch that. I wasn't allowed to watch uh, Doctor Who much growing up. Oh, that's um, unfortunate. So that was sort of like the only real way we could sort of have that sort of stuff was through video games. So yeah. I had SmackDown Know Your Role. Oh, wow. Shut your mouth. It was the second SmackDown game, and I had that on the PlayStation, and I oh, played it so much, it might as well have burnt the HUD into the screen because me and my <laughs> brothers used to play it all the time. Yeah. And that was like... I was like, whoa, what is this? Like, this is this is awesome. And I was like, oh, it's wrestling. And then um, there were the, the early days of, like, video sharing online. My brother showed me a very grainy 1080p. Oh, not 1080p. Like oh, you 10, wish it was 1080p 10, back then. Oh, God, I wish it was 1080p. God, like, 8 gigabit fucking uh, <laughs> video of mankind getting thrown off the hell in a cell. 
Full of choice. I was at that point. I was like, "What is it?" And it's just like, "Oh, well, you can play as him in this game." And yep. the 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 car crash intro for Mankind's theme song, yeah. just like it, it influenced the early early um, times in my career because I'd always add like something before my song. It was usually movie clips from like horror movies. Like I've used mm. Beetlejuice. I've used um, not Bates Motel. What was it called? Psycho. Yeah, I've used that sort of thing because I love that like prelude of something before the song. Yeah, and I'd always pick Mankind, and my brother would always pick fucking Triple H, and he'd always kick the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> and <laughs> that's it. Like... Yeah, I mean, know your role would have had the Hell in a Cell in it as well because you would have had Denim Taker trying to throw him off it. So, yes. <laughs> but it's it's funny you um you mention Mankind's music, and uh, I promise we won't segue too much into the minutiae of you know our wrestling fandoms here. But um, was catching up for uh, drinks with a couple of buddies of ours, um, uh, Mike and Adam, and basically we were talking about just how terrible Mankind's music was until he got oh, the car crash. I bet I don't think it was terrible; just didn't suit him as he was transitioning into that good guy phase around that '98 Survivor Series, but. Yeah, as you know, you've always been big on your presentation, you know, whether it's those sound effects or those thick clips before the song, but also just with your your lighting, your your videos, which I know a lot of them in, have been done by, created by Giles, who we had on the other week. So there's a That's huge it. part about the wrestling presentation is how you come to the ring in that attitude and that persona. But um, let's rewind a little bit before you start um, jumping into stadium shows as a fully fledged pro wrestler and start um, demolishing fools here with all sorts of household weaponry. Let's go back to how you did get involved. So we're going to rewind a little bit, but fast forward from where we were, which is very confusing. It's like Adam Sandler's movie click, but um, tell us a bit about how, it's not a banger. No, we're having that <laughs> argument. I don't want to see Henry Winkler cry. But um, I'm going to come on a second episode and we're going to talk about Adam Sandler and I'm going to win you over. <laughs> no, it's not Adam Sandler that you won't win me over. You won't win me over on click, but um, tell us how you got into wrestling because obviously that was uh, here in Perth and uh, obviously there was a few thousand miles you had to travel there to get to that point. Yeah, so um, yeah, I moved over from uh, England in 2007, um, sort of dropped away from wrestling as you do when you get older. And then of course, as all things happen, got back into it through video games, the SmackDown versus Raw series, mm. and just sort of kept that up until about God, maybe twenty eleven, stopped watching. Because um Jeff Hardy lost a loser leaves SmackDown match against CM Punk. Yes. And Jeff Hardy went to TNA and I watched TNA religiously for six months. <laughs> And it ruined my brain for wrestling. Uh, I know so much useless bullshit about um, TNA wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, I graduated high school and I sort of, uh, I lost um, sort of, uh, again, I sort of lost what I was doing outside of high school. And uh, 2014 was, uh, it's going to age you, Eric, I apologize. 2014 was the year <laughs> I graduated. Oh, no, we, we age each other on this podcast all the time. So that's all good. You're just aging yourself there. So 2014, Jesus, that was almost 10 years ago. I'm, I'm 90% sure that was the year that Taker lost the streak to Brock. Uh, oh, you, I reckon I reckon you're right. Yeah, because 13 was Mania 29, I think, which would have been Punk. 
So would have been punk, yes, yeah. yes. So 2011 was Atlanta versus Triple H because I was there. 12 was Hell in yeah. a Cell against uh, 2012. 2013 was Punk. 2014, yeah, was Brock. Sorry, yeah. So, Sorry, everyone. You just got a glimpse into my brain. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, Taker lost the streak. I got a text from uh, my friend who got me into wrestling, Aiden, and he goes, "Hey, Taker just lost to Brock at Mania," and I went, "What?" And then I just got back into wrestling from that, and um, like out of like, spite. That point, out of spikes i was like what the fuck do you mean like and then i come i come back luckily like as the shield were picking up and like yeah. i saw like, john moxley now but like dean ambrose and that sort of thing mm. and then leading into the next year in 2015 i was then in um tafe watching pro wrestling um and roddy piper died oh yeah yeah and i went fuck i should be a professional wrestler <laughs> yes that was that was the catalyst of me being like, well, I, I want to do this. I feel like I can do this. Roddy mm. Piper's died. I'll do it in I'll do it in the Hot Rods memory. Yeah, hadn't watched um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia at that point, and now I love him <laughs> even more. Um, so I messaged EPW and I was like, Hey, I'd like to come and train. What do I do? And at that point, we were um, we had a school out in um, Maddington, which is an industrial area, mm. and it was a Tuesday night. And I had loaded up um, both episodes of uh, The Art of Wrestling with Colt Cabana, both the CM Punk episodes. And I was like, loaded up both CM Punk Art of Wrestling podcasts. And I listened to it all the way down on the train from where I live to down to Cannington. And I immediately got fucking lost. Really? And That's the I infamous went... one where he was um, just laying out all of his uh, grievances by the Festivus it was, Yeah. It was yeah, it was it was that one. It was the it was the him laying out everything, and that's the one he got sued for. Yes, and I was so I was so engrossed in it, and I was like, oh my god, I'm a, I'm a, I love CM Punk so much. CM Punk so fucking oh so dope. Oh my god, I love CM Punk. Yeah, and I was like so involved, and I was like, I don't know where I am. So I ended up in the middle of Maddington. I had no idea where the school was. I had a really terrible iPhone four that was dying, and you had to hold the charger in a very specific point, or it wouldn't charge. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, it's currently four p.m. The training at the wrestling school doesn't start until six thirty, and I'm here two hours early, and I don't know where I am. So I had to go into a car dealership. I think it was a Toyota dealership. I had to go into there to ask for directions because I was so lost and my phone wasn't working for directions for some reason. So then I had to wander along the, like uh, along Canning highway, I think it was to turn left to try and find my way down to the, this wrestling school that I didn't know. There was wrestling schools don't have giant, big flashing neon signs outside that say, this is a wrestling school no, at, no. The time, at the time, bless the South factory. Um, it was a dingy little shed. Yeah. And I didn't know where it was. So I had a vague address. It was across the road from, I think, a Macedonian club. Shout out the great George. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know where I am. So I found a caravan repair shop that was thankfully still open at 5.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. Jeez, that's and a niche like, audience to be open that a very late. niche audience. And I was like, hey, I'm so sorry. I know it's, I know it's, you're probably closing. And I just need to charge my phone. I like, I'm trying to find this professional wrestling school. And he's like, yep, yeah, cool, easy, no problem. Obviously, this entire time I've had CM Punk yelling in my ear about how much he hates wrestling and how much like <laughs> WWE ruined him. So I've set myself up for failure yeah. from the get-go. And I'm sitting there in this shop, and this guy's like, 
looking at his watch trying to close up and I'm like, I'm sorry, I need like at least 15% battery so I don't get killed. Yeah. It is Maddington. And it is Maddington. And luckily enough, the school was, I think, four or five shops down. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, I've, I've just somehow like lined this up and I've got it here at a perfect time. So then... I charged my phone up completely. I was sitting outside and then, uh, bless him, Dan Moore was the first person I saw. <laughs> he um, really is a um, nice guy. It's not a character. He really is a nice guy. God, God, did he come to save me that day. And, um, yeah, I met Dan and then that was sort of it. That was the, the um, and then I met Carney on the same night, um, Tyler Jacobs. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was running on from that, I suppose. Mm. Um, July 2015 up until November 2023, which is where we're at now. Yep. And uh, as per tradition on the show, we dated the podcast, which is exactly what you should do on a podcast. It's uh, <laughs> we not genuinely, we do it every episode. So that's good. I'm, I'm glad we're keeping that on. It's like a recurring theme. I'm like so killing glad I Kenny. kept the tradition alive. Yeah, I love no, it. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> we will date a little bit as well when we get uh, down, down the road and talk about um, what's coming up for you as well, to be honest. So uh, mm. if you're interested in what uh, James Hartness is doing in 2023 and you're listening to this in 2026, Sorry, you're out of luck. Sorry, uh, I'll tell you what, go back and watch it. I'm I'm sure it was sick. No, uh, it was. I was going to suggest they jump into TARDIS, <laughs> but okay, you, you do that instead. Um, so talk us talk us through what training is at a, a pro wrestling school. You, as you said, you, you started all that time back then, which is still a fair old shift you put in so far to this point. Yeah. What's it look like? How's it progress there, especially in those early days, just just before you're, I guess, show ready for one of a better term? Yeah, so. Um you go through there's there's levels at epw specifically there's levels so there is um uh oh we've changed the name of them recently as well oh slats you've thrown me off completely um (laughs) so we have oh so fundamentals which is beginners then we have i'm going to say intermediate because i can't remember what the intermediate was and then we've got advanced and that's that's the only one i remember is fundamentals because it's not beginners it's fundamentals yeah um so yeah, so fundamentals, intermediate, and then advanced. Yeah, and basically a lot of the um, beginners classes is um, you'll start you'll, you'll walk in you'll start off with usually a light cardio, so it'll be squats, push ups, sit ups, um, sometimes some kind of burpee variation. Sometimes there's a game associated with it. Um, mm-hmm. Bobby Marshall, um, when he was uh, more actively in Perth and less on ships. Yep. would do um uh, battle battle squats so it's basically battleships you split into two teams and then if you hit you have a certain amount of squats given out to the other to the team that got hit if you miss then your team does a certain amount of squats i like how you say this is light cardio and i'm just blowing up listening to it but yes oh i'm, I'm uh, in hindsight i'm blowing up at the thought <laughs> of doing it um, so, and then you jump in the ring for roles. So it's sort of like a, a, not aerobics, acrobatic, sort of like a front roll, a back roll, um, a lucha roll, which is like one over one shoulder. And then, um, like a crash, crash fall yep. roll, which is where you just roll through and you slap the mat and you get up. Um, yep. it's usually a couple of rounds of that just to get your body limbered up and sort of like coordinated with the ring. Um, and then it's going through a series of break falls, um, back bumps, front bumps, flip bumps, which is basically just fancy different ways of throwing yourself at the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's learning so how to fall. 
essentially. It's, it is. It is. It is the school of learning how to fall. Is yeah. basically what professional wrestling is. Yeah. And then um, slowly as you progress, then those you are learning how to be hit and then fall in a way that you are not just going to crumple on the ground. Mm. Because um, as yeah, as much as it is real, and a lot of people like to take it very seriously, it is a uh, it is a performative combat sport. Oh yeah, yeah, and you've got to like that's part of what re- makes wrestling great to watch is the fact that it's a theatrical combat. And um, you know, to your point there, if someone is uh, quote unquote hit with a, a clothesline or a punch something or something like that, and they just crumple down, it looks horrible. But then if you've got the theater, uh, the theater of you know, punch and then this big dramatic fall and you that sound of the you know the body hitting the mat the right way, it's a lot more appealing to to watch and you know be, uh, become part of. So it helps build that that theatricals to it for sure. But it is it's it's interesting just you laying that out as well, talking about how much work goes into not only the the falling down the, the rolls and things like that. Seems like you've got to create a lot of muscle memory things here especially in a world that can be quite unpredictable, you have to make your body predictable to how it falls. Does that make sense oh, or does that oh, sound right? Ab- ab- absolutely. Your body gets calloused to it is yeah. um, a phrase that I heard once. Is like, And especially when you come back after, if you've taken time off for an injury or you're just taking time off for, for personal reasons or whatever, mm-hmm. your first bump is like is like your first bump ever because your yeah. body has, un- has unlearned what it's like to slap the mat and have that impact underneath you mm. and it is one of them sort of things of like now if i thought that i remember i took a slip when i was first when i was first trained to be a wrestler i yeah. went over to um sydney I hate that city no offense <laughs> sydney. I, uh, I just, thanks I to all our city. sydney listeners who i know we do have a few but yeah i yeah ble- yeah bless your hearts i hate your city but um <laughs> i it was it was a particularly rainy day and i slipped on the ground and out of instinct i back bumped and it oh. fucked me up worse than if I would have just fallen on my shoulder or whatever. And it was just that instinct of like, oh, I'm falling. Bang. There you go. Oh, that spread out everything all over me, not in the way it was intended to. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> it's crazy how it comes to you. I, I'm, even though this show is about you, I'm going to tell you a story how wrestling training saved my life. Genuinely. I was uh, riding uh, to uh, my mum's place in Mayland, so just on the the push bike and you know hooning it down because you know um, you only live once and I think I'd watch BMX yeah, Bandits that week, but oh, I'm just yeah. I'm just hooning it and didn't notice this big stick on the on the road there. So I've just tried to you know move out of the way, have gone um, ass over tit over the handlebar and just subconsciously I've tucked the head and put the arms out rather than just land and fall on my neck and look like mm. you know. Sabu versus Chris Benoit or something like that. So yeah, um, yeah, it's crazy how instinctively it just comes back to you. But you know, to your point there, if you haven't done it for a while, it's still going to hurt like heck. Oh god, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it is one of those sort of things of like, it is the muscle memory of like, right, cool, I'm going to hit the mat and then I'm going to get up to my right. And yeah. that's just the, the way the way you get up in 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 Western wrestling is you get up to your right. So you, you bang, you slap, and you get up to your right, and you go down again. You get up to your right, and you and you step forward with your left foot. And you do all these sort of things that it's not, it's it's ingrained in you subconsciously because you're yeah. not thinking, all right, cool, I'm going to take this move and I'm going to land this way. It's, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Like um, yeah. Chris Weiss, um, when he was in Perth taking trainings, we do what's called the corner drill. So basically you stand in the middle of the ring 
and people will run in and you will put up a fist or a elbow or an arm or a boot and they will bump. Yep. And that is, you just do that four times and then you circle out and then you come in and you do it. And it's just that thing of like, right, cool. I'm running into whatever it is and I'm going to fall appropriately. And you just learn that like, someone forgets something in a match or you haven't heard what someone has said. Mm. They throw you off the ropes. All of a sudden you're running at them full pelt and there comes their foot and you go, Oh my God, thank Christ. And you take the foot. Yeah. Um, Is that thing of like, okay, cool. I know that that boot is going to come right at my face and I'm going to hit the mat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with that training, not only making your body predictable, but being predictable to one another. Because uh, I think we um, we touched on it when I was speaking to um, to Brett, who wrestles as Marcus Pitt. It's just that, um, you know, being predictable and safe with one another, that's so important, much more important than, um, you know, the flashiness. It's being safe and reliable with one another. But as you're going along and you're training and getting those reps under the belt in the school, making that become muscle memory. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, when you're getting closer to being ready to be on a, on a show, um, how you go through the um, the process of developing a character or coming up with the, the name Jimmy Hartness or the look, the feel, the persona. Um, so yeah. Tell us a bit about that part of the process. So um, with that, a lot of people get given their first gimmick. So yeah. um, I'm going to throw him under the bus. Uh, obviously, Jesse Lambert, um, close, oh, close personal friend of the show. Um, <laughs> He's Lambert, a good man, despite what God I would have him. to say on commentary when I was in that role. But he is a very <laughs> beautiful, young, sweet man. I'm not sure he's sweet, but he's a beautiful young man. We do love him, despite his many, many flaws. And um, <laughs> his, uh, so his, his original gimmick was he was young. I think he was the youngest one of us that had debuted at that point. Or going into the show, he was the youngest one. So his um, persona would be the learner wrestler. Yes. He's still learning how to wrestle. He's still taking like, I'm getting there or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Um, Other people like um, Tipane and um, uh, Jack Edwards uh, were put into the role of the TK task force. Yeah. Just basically two faceless goons that come out with Taylor King to bolster him basically. And it became its whole, whole... thing itself like its own beast basically well they um they willed their way to uh tag team championships um or and a really good story it actually came up on my memories recently the work that jack and and tipanay put in to getting their characters to be front of mind and and get people invested to them made them one of the most um uh popular acts separate of the taylor king character so um more props to them and kudos it was mind blowing because a lot of a lot of the work was reliant on TK's but well, physical comedy mm. of he doesn't talk he has the glasses he is this stocky little like bomb of a Samoan guy yeah and Jack Edward and Jack who put so much effort into all these ideas and he had to carry everything through talking and action and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And then even leading to Tiffany taking the glasses off and finally saying a word, and it was yeah. two words, like, and that was one of the loudest reactions of that reawakening that year. And it was a whole like, you get you get given it. I was lucky enough, well, I say lucky enough. I was um, fortunate enough that James Hartness is a completely me idea. Yep. So um, the idea coming through 
when I was coming in was a cat. So it was based on uh, Tyler Bate, who at the time was uh, very, very young. He was my age as, as well, to be fair. Oh, Speed wow. was very young. Yeah. So he was um, like 12 months. This is before British Strong Style. This was before the WWE picked him up or that sort of thing. Okay. So it was back back in, God, what was it? 2018, 2019, I got told to study Tyler Bate. It was very old British strongman boxing, like carnival boxer was the idea. Yeah. And that's what James Hartness was going to be. Um, I... Don't, I don't know how I just decided against it, but I was like, I don't really feel like that's me. That feels very, it feels like a very dated character. It feels very old. Yeah. I don't want to, I can't, I can't portray that character the way that I feel like it should be. Yeah. So I, I, I've opted not to do that. Um, I, I've been taught a lot um, in, in pro wrestling schools as well. It's like, you can't just draw from pro wrestling. Is if you pro if you draw from pro wrestling, you are going to be a copy of insert wrestler here, or you're going to be yeah. this wrestler here. So a lot of um, a lot of the time, the Don is a big person for it. Is where are you going to find inspiration outside of pro wrestling? Yeah. So for me, I looked to my roots. So um, West Ham hooliganism, uh, Guy Ritchie films like Snatch. Um, sort of uh even even leading into um that show i think i had been the trainee other than chadwick jackson or uh, tim um hmm. i was the trainee that had been around the longest but yeah. i was the one that had had the least matches so um i was listening to an architect song that um about the band architects their song grave digger and the opening lines uh, you are the reason we are bitter and then some. Oh, nice. And I went, huh. <laughs> that, that light that bulb. work well in professional wrestling? It's like that light bulb moment Steve Austin talks about when his uh, ex-wife goes, drink up, your tea's getting stone cold. It's just sometimes that, that inspiration just, it's happenstance. It just comes to you. It does. It's, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds dumb and it sounds cliched and that sort of thing. But it was like, it was hearing that I saw it live at um, the Red Hill Auditorium and the, the, I saw Architects live and the, the weather was dreadful. Like oh, it's a they Red had Hill to show. replace, it's a Red Hill show. So the, the it was absolutely drenched. The, yeah. the downpour was immeasurable. <laughs> um, they had to replace the mics about four times because the cables had like shorted because of the water. Wow! And I saw that song live, and I went, "I really want to use that as like an entrance theme one day." And leading into like debuting and stuff, I was like, "Huh, I don't want to use the song, so I'm going to use um, an Oasis song, Fucking in the Bushes, <laughs> because I absolutely love Nigel McGuinness." Because I love um, Desmond Wolf from TNA. Yes. Again, there's my I, terrible. I was going to say, yeah, that's yeah, all right, Desmond Wolf um, reference. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, I don't think Nigel McGuinness even references Desmond Wolf these days. Was uh, he, was he I, a member of uh, Fortune? British Invasion. British Invasion. <laughs> okay, not Fortune. I just I, it, it was around that time they were doing a whole bunch of stables and things like that. Yeah, main event mafia, Immortal. Fortune. Yeah. Immortal, oh God, you're bringing back so many haunted memories. <laughs> um, 
so yeah so i used that for the first show i think because i i think i came out and i attacked bruno nitro and that yeah. started my uh my bitter blood feud with him mm. um i love him so much i love bruno so much he's such a yeah. sweetheart he's a beautiful um, man too he really is um so i used that um on the first one then i was like can't really use that because it's nigel mcginnis's theme song yeah. and like people in perth aren't gonna care i'm gonna throw it out there. bobby bishop um over in queensland uses mm. it now yep banger absolute tune i'm so glad he uses it because that song deserves to be everywhere because it is an absolute bobby dazzler yeah but the so, thing with the thing with wrestling is uh, er, the, there's very uh few things that haven't been used i mean you look at moves and things like that if if it fits the vibe of the the character whether it's a song or whether or not it's a, a particular move I don't think we're that precious anymore about it uh, as an industry. I yeah. say there like I'm still in it, but um, <laughs> I, don't, I just don't, I don't think the industry is as precious about those things. You've got guys throwing, you know, stone cold stunners about like it's for fun and things like that. So yeah. And you know, everything just gets reused. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'd a hundred percent agree. And it's one of them sort of things of like, um, I was talking to, I was talking to the Ducks brothers recently about it. And it was one of them conversations of like, I really like Bobby using um, Oasis. Like, I think that's a really good thing. I was like, I was worried about it when I was coming in because I was like, I didn't really want people to like associate it with Nigel McGuinness. Then I remember we are in the most isolated city in the world. A lot of people aren't going to know who Nigel McGuinness is. On the the flip side of that, it is one of those sort of things of like, if I started coming out to the final countdown, Mm. people, people know brian danielson or they know daniel bryan yes yeah. enough to easily type in daniel bryan theme song and then yeah. the second one that comes up is final countdown yeah it's it's one sort of things it, it is that sort of like the the distance of time between when something has happened and then now using it like like you said before people throwing stone cold stunners i'm gonna throw them under the bus again jesse lambert um <laughs> all he does is do other people's moves well i just yes. Yes, but uh, well, he's still the learner wrestler, isn't he? I think. Uh, no, has he graduated? I don't know. I, I, I don't think. I think yet. maybe no. he'll graduate at reawakening. We don't know. Oh, nice, career- nice little company man sell there. Yeah, I was gonna. That's gonna date this like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously you you had that inspiration there um, to to go to the roots for the James Hartness character. Don't get me started on the name. I love it now, but as a Doctor Who fan, I oh, almost called I, you Jack Hartness I, all the time. I remember so how did you Jack come Hartness. to that? So James Hartness is um, I, I love I love telling people this story because it is so fun and so just easy to do. Yep. But um, basically, what you do what you do is is the old British style of having a professional wrestling name. What's your middle name? Yeah. What is your um, uh, your mum's mum's maiden name? So your grandma's maiden name. Yeah. The profession of one of your parents. That's how you do it. It's like the so, worst worst version of being an adult film star that we used to do when we were kids. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's your, it's your street it's your, name your, and your the pet dog's yeah. name. Yeah, the, yeah, the pet name and the, and the street. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, middle name is James. Yeah. Um, grandma's maiden name is Hartness. Yeah. And I didn't have the profession, but I could either be the hairdresser or <laughs> <laughs> I could be the hairdresser or the storeman. And I'm like, ooh, spooky. 
But yeah, so James Harkness has um has stuck. Originally, uh, terrible name. Again, my love of Desmond Morph knows no bounds. Um, <laughs> my original wrestling name for since I was about God, 2007. So I must yeah. have been 10 years old. From about 10 until about 16, my wrestling name was Charlie Wolf. Yeah. It's what I always wanted it to be. And then I realized it sucked. And Desmond <laughs> Wolf was not Nigel McGuinness. And I was devastated. Yeah, I mean, you could have done the long lost uh, relative card there or something on that one, but you're probably right. <laughs> I think you went. I'd say, well, I could just do the mankind thing and one day I'll just become Charlie. <laughs> oh, don't. You know, don't you know, get so excited thinking about that, for God's sake. No, that's it's, I. I think that's incredible. But that's uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, big Mick Foley fan. So of course I'm going to think it's incredible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll briefly talk about because I do want to dive into the death match part of this. But I do find um, any person who comes on the show, the story of how they've got to uh, where they are, very interesting and and really important as to why they're coaching me up on whatever the topic may be. But so before we dive into the deathmatch um, part specifically, tell us a little bit about your debut and the challenges you've had so far being a wrestler up to this point, maybe excluding the deathmatch specific stuff, um, yeah. and then the most rewarding stuff. So just a little bit of a summation about, you know, starting the wrestling part of it and as a performer and what's been good and what's been bad so far. Yeah, so um, I, I started um, wrestling on trainee shows or showcases in 2019 mm -hmm. and then i didn't obviously thanks to covid um a lot of stuff got pushed back so i have been wrestling on main shows now for oh my god 20 just three years just coming up on coming up on four years in um february of next year actually yeah and just so, quickly for for people listening along um those trainee shows are what um epw specifically called showcases now uh shows where those people who are training and not quite you know 100% ready for the big main performances and the stadium shows and things like that they get to you know try out their character hone their skills in front of a live loyal audience usually made up of the most loyal epw members and it's really a, a i guess a live place where you can try things fail learn from them they sprinkle it in with experienced guys to help assist with that. But it's really, if you think about it uh, from a footballing um, perspective, it's like a, it's like a waffle. It's like a VFL where you can get those reps mm. in and, and hone your craft. Yeah, that's absolutely that, that nail on the head. It's very much like the, um, oh, what's it called? Like the, um, oh God, they have them in the States. It's um, like not poaching. But their uh, their feeder system, that's what it's called. Yes, yeah. So sort of yeah. like um like an OVW for WWE or all of the independents for AEW. It's like <laughs> cool. Where are we gonna find like like the next crop of people to come through? And those are usually the showcases. Yeah. So um yeah, I I, I debuted on showcases in 2019, and that was actually um couple of matches in was when the first time I actually experienced hardcore wrestling when I wrestled Bruno. That's true, um, yeah. Um, so it was that sort of, um, that, that we had like a year long storyline where I was upset that he was, he was Bruno Nitro basically. And he was <laughs> like, I don't know. It was, it's that meme of, um, Scarlet Witch and Thanos. It's like, you took everything from me. I don't know who you are. That was basically <laughs> the, that was basically me and Bruno Nitro yeah. for an entire year. Um, and then leading into 2020, things went all, all haywire with the world in yeah. general. And then coming back in 2021, 
Um, I debuted in a tag team. Tag team wrestling is so much easier than being a singles wrestler. Yeah. Um, it, it has its aspects both ways. I feel like tag team wrestling is, it gives you more of a time to breathe and sit and figure yourself out. Yeah. But you are also, instead of thinking for two people, you are thinking for four people or specifically two because yeah. you're thinking for yourself, you're thinking for your tag partner, mm. but also you have to think for your opponents as well. Yeah. And sometimes things obviously don't go to plan and you have 20 minute matches when you get given 12. <laughs> and uh, cut that one. And um, it's that that's that's also a sort of a, a challenge of um of pro wrestling is like um that that reawakening match, I was less than 20 matches in, I, I believe. Mm. I was less than 20 matches in, and obviously it was a massive um it was a massive opportunity and I wanted to smash it out of the park. But sometimes yeah. when things when when you're thrown in the deep end and things go wrong, sometimes things just go wrong and oh my God, they keep going wrong yeah. <laughs> uh, until they don't. Um, yeah. And then you take a, and then you take a double burning hammer and you kick out because you're based. Um, <laughs> um, oh, I remember when we put that together, that match, um, we were thinking that it's just a unique blend of characters, the four of you um, in that one. But yeah, as you said, just got lost sight of time there. And uh, in my role at the time as a commentator and behind the scenes, I'm, I was just politely going to Adam, just like, why are they still going? <laughs> Ring the bell. The current, the, yeah, the running joke is now is that we're still in the heat. So, oh. um, well, no, sorry, we're working towards our first hope spot. Is because uh, oh. it's been enough time now. It's been God, what two years? I, I tell you what, and and I mean this out of love, it is still a go-to joke in a group chat of mine. It's like, oh, is that done yet? Oh, it'll be done when the reawakening tag match finishes. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's after the reawakening tag match. I'm pretty sure they're just working to the first hope now. It's two yeah. years later, and we're still yeah. working towards that goddamn hope spot. Um <laughs> but, but I mean it's a big the... stage and it was a big moment for you. Yeah, well, it was what it was reawakening 20. Like mm. it was it was it was the biggest, like the biggest one we'd had so far, like Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, rest in peace, gate one, obviously. And it's what it is one of them sort of things is um when when you feel like you have a certain level of experience and not 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 yeah. that you blow smoke up your own ass or you feel like you're um you feel like you're at a certain point. There is always so much more to learn in pro wrestling. And I feel like that is something that is lost so much newer with newer people, is just because you've reached a certain point doesn't mean you get to stop learning. Oh, without question. I mean, going back to that match, and we won't harp on it, but because you know, we're having a bit of fun with it. But, but you're in there with three really experienced wrestlers who are really three talented wrestlers, but you're still learning, no matter how many reps mm. you've put in, um, how skilled you are, how much you you know how to read the crowd and things like that. You still learn and, and some things work, some things don't. And it's just the nature Absolutely. of nature of the beast when you go out there live without a um without a safety net, so to speak. So it's no mm. knock on any of the four of you because you know. Um, obviously you were quite young, but the the other three, you know, I high praise for all of the guys in that match. So, but um, is that one of the challenges of being able to come back from something like that where you feel as though it might not have gone the way you wanted to? Oh, absolutely. I felt um, from that point, obviously our, our opponents um, beat, our, our opponents retained in that match, rightfully yeah. so. And um, yeah, coming back from that, it's just, um, it's, there was, there was a, there was a, there was a heavy cloud on it, obviously, we knew we fucked up. We knew we yeah. went long. We knew Hayden was hurt. We didn't mm -hmm. know at what point he got hurt. Um, there was just dis disjointed everything. And then it, it, it created a rift between us. It, it, it's another one of those sort of things of like, 
in the heat of the moment, that that sort of thing, when you can't react mm. to a certain scenario and everything goes wrong, it can create professional and personal rifts. Yeah, of course. And it, it, that's that's one thing to come back from. Let alone the fact that um, not not having not you specifically, but some of the top top people, we would then have to answer to mm. because they hear things that have come from the match that what uh, uh, some of some of it was true some of it was untrue yeah but course. then you have to answer you have to answer for things you did in the heat of the moment things yeah. that you have allegedly done in the thing in the heat of the moment and then all of a sudden you're fighting from underneath because you well well you've you've gone out there and you've done this yeah and now and now you need to reprove yourself is you yeah. we got to a point where it was like we're at a certain point we are mega popular we are um getting massive reactions we're selling like we're moving merch we're moving tickets yeah we're getting like a lot of traction on social media and it but it is one of them sort of things like that's all well and good Mm. but something like that happens and it can pull the rug from underneath you completely at the time i had um the super nines tournament trophy Uh, it was basically our, our version of the money in the bank yep and then at that point the like at that point every possible horrific scenario goes through your head and i'm like cool so we've gone through this entire tournament i've won it i've got this title match now what's going to happen because if i i've 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 unproven myself so now i what i'm going to go out there and i'm going to lose it am i going to be sandowed am i going to lose it to someone (laughs) else am i going to be ken kennedy like what am i like what what happens now yeah like uh, i have luckily enough i feel like personally and professionally we re we reproved ourselves yeah to a certain point and yeah. then obviously we won the tag titles yeah and that, yeah. Was, that was pretty fantastic oh without doubt and at that at that point i think what you said is absolutely right you know you didn't you can go one or two ways in that situation you can dig your heels in and just you know go back further into the crevasse and just go oh well this is horrible how um just woe is me it's not working but what i think you guys did really well at that time you actually took it on board took the feedback on worked on whatever it was those higher ups were saying and you know as you said very very popular team even though you were quote unquote the bad guys you're getting a lot of positive reactions so you know well and truly earned that um tag team championship which um for our listeners you know although the um the, although the results are predetermined and it's a performance actually winning a championship is quite a notch in the belt it is an accomplishment because it's a show of faith from the writing team and those in charge of the company that they believe in you as a reliable and marketable commodity mm, absolutely yeah they can they can position you at the top of whatever division it is Mm. And they know that they can bank on you now to go forward and um, represent the company as a champion. Obviously, that that run ended um, unceremoniously, but um, having that, even just having the titles for that short amount of time, was still very much like the notch in the belt. Like I can, I, I've said it to you before. Like, yeah, cool. I can still say I'm a former champion. Yeah, yeah and that's that, that's that's more than a lot of my contemporaries can say. Like on the on the same level, all the people that have debuted uh, around the same time as me, that's changed more more recently. Um, with uh, with like Fantasia winning the tag titles, absolutely bless him. Congratulations yeah. again, mate. Um, having that sort of like you are a former champion is a notch in the belt in the in the silly world of wrestling. It oh, does yeah. add a ooh 
<laughs> I suppose <laughs> to, 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 for, for lack of a better word it adds that like oh that's right yeah they were a former champion that that is what they did or whatever it's why people harp on about being like Booker T being the five-time 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 WCW like, like world champion Rick yeah. Flair being the 16-time world champion it's like they don't ask how they ask how many Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Though I always love the line about Ric Flair being a 16-time champ. Well, it does mean he's also then been a 15-time loser up until that point. But um, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, but having a championship um, credibility for like even promotions interstate or overseas, uh, it doesn't only just add an extra hot dog to the paycheck, but it just says, okay, this is someone that a reputable company got behind, so we know that we can get behind them too. But um so I mean, so far so good in terms of the the wrestling career. You have that tag team championship um, underneath your belt, but obviously there's a lot more goals and things that you want to accomplish, which we'll get towards towards the tail end of our chat. But uh, let's pivot now. We've got that background. We know what you are and who you are in terms of a wrestler. Tell me about Deathmatch. So um, first of all, we briefly touched on it with um, Adam Parry um, on a previous episode because he was talking about how he was commentating those shows, but someone who might not have caught that or someone who just wants a little bit of a uh, refresher, tell us what deathmatch wrestling is. So um, objectively um, deathmatch wrestling is a, um, is a facet of professional wrestling and the larger scope of the um, sport or performance art that it is. Um, it's specifically different from what would be classed as like a hardcore wrestling or um, like a no holds barred sort of thing. Cause it, it, um, deathmatch incorporates higher risk mm. in quotations, weapons such as like, uh, fluorescent light tubes, yep. broken glass, glass panes, lots of glass really. Um, <laughs> barbed wire, um, gusset plates, which for people who don't know what those are, basically, um, you know, the metal, things on the side of pallets that hold wood together those yep. um or in some wild cases because um japan has to do everything better an entire <laughs> tank of piranhas wait what what have you never heard of this no a tank oh, of man, piranhas. Have... not legit no that's not a shoot yeah the the you, I can't believe you've never heard of the exploding ring piranha death match. Oh my goodness. So I'll just say to our listeners, <laughs> I, I knew that this, this part of the conversation was going to go down a path, but you're not supposed to start with a high spot. So you're not supposed to say exploding ring piranha match. How, where do you go from there? Oh no, I'm starting. I'm not. I, I start the match at the finish, like ding, 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 Canadian destroyer. I'm hitting <laughs> Boss you. man no, versus the rock. Four seconds. Yeah, Get oh, it no. over and done with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boss man versus Eric Rowan. Am I right? No. <laughs> boss man versus Eric Rowan. Boss man, oh, I'm in the rock. <laughs> I just love the big boss man so much. Oh, who doesn't like the big boss man and the boss man behaving badly? But sorry, piranha deathmatch. Please yeah, tell absolutely. me more so, about that. <laughs> so basically, um, the ring was going to explode. Obviously, obviously. Which, which is why it's called. So, so what it was? It was the time bomb exploding ring piranha deathmatch. So the only way to win was you had to make your opponent bleed, make yep. them bleed into the piranha tank to get them all riled of up. Of course, yep. Yeah, of course. And then you had to throw your opponent into the piranha tank. It was in the middle of the ring, like into a see-through piranha tank, throw them in there, and then pop the lid on, and you had to hold it there for three seconds, and that's how you win. But, but if you didn't do it before the time limit expired, the ring would explode. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think 
I would rather the ring explodes, to be honest, which is like the worst Sophie's choice ever. But that's yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. Given the piranhas or the exploding ring, it's it's a it's a hard 50-50. It's a rock and a hard play. It's a it's a piranha and an exploding ring, really. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, that's the real absurd level there. Um but in terms of I guess um the difference between, I mean, obviously you're not going to see John Cena jump into a pile of piranhas. Uh, if they, if you do, it's probably the latest Fast and the Furious movie. But um, what would you say, like stylistically, the big difference is between, I guess, what you see in mainstream wrestling at the moment. So that could be your WWE, which I'm sure everyone's familiar mm-hmm. with, especially here in Perth, or your AEWs or whatever, your, you know, your New Japans as well to an extent. So you're like your different wrestling tastes versus what you're going to see stylistically in a deathmatch um, setting. So really it depends. Um, watching, so so every country, it's it's like pro wrestling. Every country has a different style of pro wrestling. Yep. So um, Japanese pro, uh, Japanese deathmatch wrestling specifically is it is a match. It's just a regular wrestling match, but in in certain spots weapons are introduced. Yep. So a big thing over in um, Japan is the light tubes, the, the like the light tube aspects or the panes of glass aspect. Yeah. Or um, they'll use thumbtacks and wire. That's where like. Um, that's where like the piranha death match and all that sort of stuff comes from. It's like, there is a wrestling match going on in mm. the surrounds of like a death match sort of thing. Whereas um, the American style m- usually made popular by like a CZW or um, IWA mid South and that sort of stuff is um, it's more spot orientated, especially, especially more um, not, not lower levels, but sort of like, um, smaller sort of deathmatch feds it's very like we're going to do this big spot and then you're going to get up and we're going to do this big spot and we're going to it's it's more the match is based around the weapons rather than the weapons are intermittently put in through the match yep do you have so a, that's obviously a big thing oh sorry you're gonna yeah no sorry do you have a, a preference there yourself just uh i think you lean one way based on just the way you've described both of those styles but do you have a preference when it comes to deathmatch wrestling I definitely lean more towards trying to emulate more of a Japanese style deathmatch. So um, again, that's sort of like the King of the Deathmatch tournament that um, Mick Foley won. Again, mm. it's one of those sort of things of like, um, or like a like a no rope barbed wire match. Is yeah. this the whole thing? Is there is a wrestling match happening, but all of the ropes are barbed wire. Yeah. So you can't really run the ropes. You can't jump off of them, or you can, but you have to be careful of the wire or whatever. Yeah. So I I much prefer sort of like, right? We will tell like this is the story we are going to tell with this match, and here are the weapons that we have involved. Like my my, my most recent death match was um against Felix Young, yeah. Um in a, a famous last words coffin death match. So, the, the 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 crux of it was we had a massive coffin, and to win the match you had to put your opponent in the coffin, close the lid. Okay. Like a regular coffin match. That yeah. Is, that's why I say that. Like, We've seen that like in a, WWE. Yeah. yeah like a, no dramas like a there. Casket match, like, yeah, like The Undertaker would do like a casket match and that sort yeah. of thing. Or I like thought you were a deathmatch wrestler. That's easy. Yeah. Exactly. Or like um, AEW recently did Sting and Darby Allen versus Christian Cage and Swerve Strickland in a I coffin will, match. I will say Sting at 
63 or whatever doing coffin matches is just as risky as a deathmatch one, I reckon. But God stinks what, so. a ma- what a machine God he so is. Dope. God, I love oh, Sting. Coming yeah. up the seek and destroying everything. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Um, but yeah, so throughout the match, there was various weapons. Like we had a, um, we had a skeleton because it was Halloween themed or it was emo yeah. themed. Um, so there was like a skeleton, but there was also... Um, we had bundles of light tubes. Like I took yeah. a curb stomp through light tubes purely because I could have taken the curb stomp on the floor. Yeah. Or um, Felix could bring in the light tubes and do even more damage by stomping me through the tubes. Yeah. It was a match where a lot of the stuff could have happened irregardless of the weapons, but the weapons were there to amplify it. Yeah. Like yeah. at one point I gave him a body slam I could have body slammed him onto the floor. I didn't. I body slammed him onto chairs. Yeah. Or he hit me with, uh, when I wrestled Clint Margera, um, a move that um, uh, a close, close personal friend of mine, Elijah Henry, loves to do, is the snapmare back kick. Okay, so he yeah. just like flips, flips you over, kicks you in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, Clint did that, kicked me in the back, and I went, oh, that couldn't hurt any worse. And then he put a bundle of tubes on my back, and he kicked me again. <laughs> And it's one of them sort of things of like these things, these moves can happen and you can do these things, but you're adding an extra layer of danger. That's yeah. the sort of style of deathmatch that I love. I prefer to do. It's interesting when you when you talk about those those uh, spots or sequences or moves, um, depending on how um, into the weeds you want to go there with it. But it's interesting that the the fundamentals of it are still the fundamentals. So you still need to be able to successfully and, and safely do a body slam or a, a kick or something like that. Um, so you need that grounding in the, the the fundamentals of pro wrestling to still be a good deathmatch wrestler from what what I can tell. Um, but that'd be fair to say that you still need to have good fundamentals to to do it well. Absolutely. Um, Neil Diamond Cutter, who um, the original Prince of the Deathmatch, um, he when he came over for um, for Dream this this most recent year, um, getting to talk to him was just absolutely mind blowing because he's been doing it for um, years, like two thousand and three, I believe, like very very early early doors for Deathmatch wrestling in in, in the states and stuff. Mm. And hearing him talk, and he's just sort of like, he's like, I can wrestle. He goes, I've been, he's like, I've been wrestling for this long. I don't just do deathmatch wrestling. Yeah. He goes, it it takes a very good professional wrestler to be, you, like, you can be a wrestler and you can be a deathmatch wrestler. It takes a very good professional wrestler to be a very good deathmatch wrestler. Mm. Because as much, as much as you can just go out there and I can swing light tubes and i can do all these like oh i'm gonna go throw you through this or i'm gonna hit you with this or i'm gonna do this yeah yeah that's all well and good but at one at some point like what it's just it's just right what are you gonna do now well yeah i ask this respectfully you say it's you know you have to be very good professional wrestler to be a very good deathmatch wrestler but can it be very easy to be a very bad deathmatch wrestler is there a lot of that that goes around the scene unfortunately it is it is incredibly easy to be uh, a dangerous and bad deathmatch wrestler just purely yeah. based on so many factors. Um, yeah. Not care like there's there's a, there's a certain level. Everyone in wrestling is a little bit is a little bit uh, not there. Oh yeah. In, in the way of like you have to you have to be very peculiar to get into your pants to go and wrestle in front of people and hope that they either hate you or like you. Oh yeah, without that question. Is, that is the same sort of thing with deathmatch is sort of like again 
I could go down the park and give two 15-year-olds light tubes and go right now start smacking each other. They're not deathmatch wrestlers, or they th- they now think they are. Mm. A light, like, light tubes don't make you a deathmatch wrestler. Yeah. Barbed wire doesn't make you a deathmatch wrestler. Having having a uh, the thought process of this is this is specifically deathmatch wrestling. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because deathmatch is an art form yeah deathmatch is very very is very very um subjective i would not put um like mick foley versus terry funk in a texas deathmatch is like a picasso painting Mm. i would not put that i would uh, i would that is art yeah just just like um yeah two two 16 year olds in their back garden with ropes made of like string on a trampoline hitting each other with weapons is like a two-year-old's finger painting yeah. two different spe- ends of the spectrum for art mm. they are both the same thing just vastly different yeah that's a it's a really good way of putting it um you know as i shared no secret as much as i love you that i'm always a little bit skeptical on the deathmatch wrestling but that that's a really nicely way a nice way that you've surmised it there um can i ask and again i apologize i feel as though we've gone on the beaten track you know like a good interview i've given you a bunch of questions that i was gonna ask and we've kind of <laughs> segued organically in different parts of the conversation but um i mean again mick foley's my guy um and obviously that's how you were first introduced there as well with that grainy hell in a cell footage from 1998 as well Mm. um do you think the fact that his story was so mainstream publicized uh in terms of the the story that wwf told at the time of him jumping off the roof of his house having that backyard wrestling match uh, does it sort of glorify did it sort of glorify and sort of start the progression of you know, not necessarily just people believing if they have a dream, they can work on it, which was the the point of it. But maybe those people thinking, well, I've got a backyard, I've got a roof, I've got a weapon, I've got a this. Do you think that played a big part in it? Or was it always just going to organically go this way? It's it's that sort of, it is that hard sort of thing, because like, it's the, it's the classic, I've, uh, I've had surgery five times in my left knee, don't try this at home. It's just mm. like, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still gonna I'm, I'm still gonna drop kick my my cousin on the on the sofa accidentally break the sofa and then I don't know blame the dog on it like <laughs> there was always there was always there was always going to be that sort of thing of like oh my god that's so cool I can't wait to do it outside of whatever I'm watching because yeah it's it's always going to be monkey see monkey do yeah even to like even to this day it always says please do not try this at home but in like 2015 Seth Rollins had to stop doing the curb stomp because too many kids were doing it on the playground. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of them, it is one of them sort of things. A friend of mine, when we were kids, um, when we were in year six, um, he was hanging off of the monkey bars like um, Ed, uh, like Jeff Hardy at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, yeah. Another friend of mine ran through and fucking speared him off of it and he broke his collarbone. Yeah. That's not Mick Foley. <laughs> no, no, but that's fair. It was one of those sort of things of like, but you, the the WWE had this really weird thing where they'd show like the Hardy Boys, and it's like here's them in their back garden, and they yeah. made a ring out of um, uh, mattresses and some string, or here's here's Mick Foley jumping off of the roof, 
or here's like Edge and Christian being kids wrestling around or whatever. And then it's like, oh, well, we can do that. And then all of a sudden it's don't try this at home. It's like, but they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they did. And, and Mick Foley won the WWE title. Yeah. And Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy are super awesome. Like, yeah. why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, such a good point there. Because I completely blanked on the fact that they use the um the Hardy Boys stuff as well. And that was about 2000, 2001. I think uh, mainly 2000 when they were feuding with Edge and Christian about that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's crazy how they, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Like they show um, people growing up and doing it. And I think it also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it was just maybe a little bit of a perfect storm for, and, I, and again, I preface this with bad backyard slash deathmatch wrestlers. And I don't think you would call them deathmatch wrestlers, to be honest, those backyard, that crew. But yeah, mm. um, I think the sort of the rise of the the jackass stuff at the same time, the rise of being able to film something as well, and oh you know, god, yeah, people put those three things together. It's like, hey, I can film it. These jackass guys do it, and I love wrestling because wrestling's everything at the moment. I've got my Limp Biscuit album, got my WWF on, and jackass is big. I can film this, and then kind kind of creates that subculture of really bad backyard weapons versus what you're talking about, which is the death match uh, wrestling in a proper environment with people who know what they're doing. Yes, it's dangerous. Of course it is. Most performance arts are in some way, but you've been trained to try and work around it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, it was the thing of like ECW was yep. massive in the nineties or it, it was, it was at a, it was at a point where tape traders were trading like Masato Tanaka versus Mike Awesome, or Oof, they were trading yeah. like, that no ring barbed wire match yeah. um, between Sabu and Terry Funk. Yeah. And it's one of them sort of things of like, you can see that and you can go, it's, it is the exact same, in my opinion, it's the exact same thing of seeing, I don't know, Jeff Hardy is on the telly and he's doing swanton bombs and I love Jeff Hardy and I'm going to do swanton bombs on my, on my couch or whatever. Yeah. And it's probably the same exact thing of like kids in rural, like, louisiana or whatever it is and it's just like oh well we've got spare barbed wire from like ho like hocking up the cows in the fences Lu louisiana we... the the barbed wire capital of the world <laughs> but yeah, like, i take the, your they, point yeah they got the barbed wire down in the bayou and they're going to be <laughs> fighting alligators and they're going to have barbed wire instead of ropes and it's yeah, one of those sort of things it's like if you see it you can do it because yeah. they can do it mm. So it's in the world and you know that it's a thing that can happen. Mm. So it, it was like it, when, when ECW finished, obviously there was, um, there was that gap in Philly and that's when like ring of honor started and CZW started or, um, Oh God, what was it called? XPW. And was like the offshoot deathmatch stuff started up in yeah. the wake of ECW folding. There was that void. There was the void and it was, it was boy, was it filled. <laughs> because new jack wanted to get paid every single weekend rest in peace and like he was going to be flying around the country to do these death matches and like sabu yeah. was still getting paid money because he wasn't in the fed yet and yeah. like before the ecw revival and all that sort of thing so like it was because yeah you could go to a local show and they're running sabu versus their local guy in a no-ring barbed wire match mm. and then all of a sudden every kid now knows oh that's a thing you can do yeah. It's like um it's like Lobo and it's like Lobo and um Mad Dog. Yep. Uh, the infamous no rope barbed wire match in Australia that like dirtied the name of Deathmatch Wrestling for many, 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 many years. It's that sort of thing of like you can go out there and you can do it and the kids can watch it and they can go, Well, we can do that too. It's yeah. like it's 
it's the cognitive thing of like that is something I want to do. I'm going to do it. Yep. Yep. No. And then you go home and you hit your brother with a chair and you break the chair and now you're in trouble. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, like taking the deathmatch um, um, element out of it for a moment, you know, there's no doubt that that my my kid brother and I would always be wrestling when, you know, in 99, 2000, it's like, don't do this. Ah, too bad. I've already got him up for the choke slam. I've already taken my sock off to shove down his throat, which if you're a wrestling fan, that makes sense. If you're new to wrestling, doesn't make sense. I'm not a weirdo. Please don't, don't, don't send yeah. any letters. But um, with this, um, Let's sort of, but I had a question here, but I'm going to circle back to it more towards the end of our conversation. Um, let's talk about you, um, your favorite deathmatch wrestlers, why they appeal to you as well. So this actually roughly stumped me when you, like when you sent through the, the questions for this, it was, there was a lot of stuff and I was just sort of like, oh my God, like I've not thought about it for ages. I've, I've, I was talking to a friend of mine very recently that I find it now, I don't know why, now being in the industry maybe for um, for so many years, mm. I find it hard to have favourites. Okay. Because, um, not that I feel like I'm, bet- I'm betraying anyone, but I'm like, well, I like a lot of different people for a lot of different aspects. So I have to like really like have a deep think about my favourite deathmatch wrestlers. Like obviously top of the list is me. Um <laughs> You have to have that black hand glove on, don't you, at all times? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I always, always have to, always have to keep myself at the top and the bottom of the pedestal, just in case. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, a lot of, um, a lot, like a lot of, a lot of names came to mind when I first, when I first thought about it. Like um, Akira from from America is a, mm-hmm. a newer guy who does like more of a, it's what he's called like a hybrid style. It's very like catch as catch can wrestling, like a, um, a Timothy Thatcher or. Um, a uh brian danielson but yep. in corp again again does that but also does death matches um ricky shane page has always been one that stood out to me as well um watching fight club pro um when i was very getting into um pro wrestling so like progress fight club pro a lot of the uk independence and that sort of thing and that was the first time i saw um clint margera who i was fortunate enough to wrestle um at the end of august which was an absolutely mind-blowing experience because i watched um him drew parker um, and jimmy havoc in um k like uh, not cage of death what was it um death house like a a, no no no, it was um fight club pro but um they wrestled in like a there was like a scaffold and it was a whole death match and it was it was like that was mind-blowing for like triple threat death matches and all that sort of stuff so again, another name I just dropped was Drew Parker, um, mm. a younger, a younger sort of wrestler um, from the UK. He's retired now, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so he went over to um, to Japan to make his name over there with um, guys like um, Abdullah Kobayashi, which I'm ninety percent sure is his name. He's a um, big deathmatch guy over there. Um, Jun Kasai, um, El Desperado in uh, in more recent times, and then. Obviously, the big one more 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 recently is the more mainstream one. It is um, John Moxley. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Moxley because he's 
incorporated elements of that deathmatch style into the AEW platform. For those who are unaware of AEW, might just know WWE is the thing that John Cena does. Um, AEW is pretty much, uh, well, it is the second best promotion in the world in terms of exposure and, and fanfare and, and all the deals and licensing to go around there. So it's a, it's a promotion founded by a billionaire who's trying to really have that challenger brand to the WWE style. Um, John Moxley, of course, used to be Dean Ambrose of The Shield back in the WWE, and he's gone over to this promotion and, and yeah, really blends um, elements of deathmatch into that AEW sort of mainstream promotion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mox is one of those sort of ones. When I got back into wrestling in 2014, he caught my eye um, on the WWE level because I see mm. coming back into wrestling, all I know is WWE because WW, WCW is awful and it's always been awful um, because that's always what I was, I've was i been fed. Going back and watching WCW now, it's awesome. It never should have gone out of business, no matter how terrible 2001 was. <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, it wasn't ECW. 2001, it was 2000 that did it in. Let's, let's be honest, 2000 <laughs> that did it in. It just got to 2001 somehow. It, let, it crept over the line. Oh, God, it was so good, though. Um, it wasn't at all. <laughs> um, but, like, watching old ECW, like, um, my my all-time favourite pay-per-view of all time, Heatwave 98. Oh, okay, um, yeah. That's um, can... Jerry Lynn RVD? Uh, no, it's... Wow, that, that's that the one way... pay-per-view that wasn't... That is the one... <laughs> I think I, that must have been the heat wave the year before, but this one was um, the opener was Jerry Lynn versus Just Incredible. I'm ninety percent sure. Mm. Oh, it was Jerry Lynn versus Just Incredible. It was Bam Bam and Taz, and they go through the ring. Oh, That's okay. the one. Yeah. So like, um, yeah. So I like loving ECW now. Like watching it back and like all the like hardcore TVs and that sort of thing. Like Chris Candido, love it. The um, yeah, so seeing completely got sidetracked, but yeah, seeing um, Dean Ambrose was like this brawler sort of guy comes out in like the tank top and the jeans, comes out to like the loud music, like fists taped up, like he's gonna fight. And I'm like, huh, this guy's pretty cool. And then you Google him, and then it's like the CZW days of him like being in Tournament of Death and being in IWA Mid South. And then from then it goes to like, um, I found Samoa Joe versus Necro Butcher, which is one of the best matches of all time. It's not, it's, um, it's, it's great, but it's also not the best match of all time. Yeah, yeah. Unless you, unless you ask me and I will put it on and we will sit there for 12 minutes while Samoa Joe beats up Necro Butcher. And I go, Hagrid's this. <laughs> it is this, right? Um, but yeah, once he left, um, Mox sort of um, went to go back into more of that deathmatch sort of style. He's had deathmatches with like Nick Gage um, mm. in GCW. And even like, um, I actually had it as a, an answer for my next question, but I'll bring it up now. Um, one of my favorite deathmatches of more recent yep. time is John Moxley bringing deathmatches to AEW in the form of the Texas deathmatch. Okay, yep. And the, so, the, is that the one against Page, or there's a one specifically that that's caught your eye? It is the one against Page. Yep. Absolutely, it's the it's it's the Hangman Page one. Um, I thought um, just one of the best F matches I've seen, and it was on um, it was on the second biggest wrestling company in all of all all of America, basically. Yeah, and it's it's seeing that like I know a lot of people do not like how Moxley wrestles. I can completely understand that. He bleeds a lot he brawls a lot 
He's not very like, it's not very finessed. It's not very like, it's smooth without being smooth. It's like smooth as, it's as smooth as crunchy peanut butter, basically, <laughs> is, the way you, is the way I'd like to describe how he wrestles. Also the way I like to describe how I wrestle, but yeah. crunchy Biscoff. <laughs> um, no, no, stick with the peanut butter. Stick with the winner. Stick at the top of the. No, 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 no. It's crunchy peanuts. It's crunchy biscoff because I'm a little bit sweeter. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. so I've never <laughs> known you to be sweet <laughs> unless you're out of character. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's a, it's an interesting one there because um, they he's a very raw style, like it feels mm. authentic. Yeah, it is. It is that um, it's that brawler sort of like this. It, it whereas you can watch like a Pentagon Junior who is also another um who's also done death matches. His one against Vampiro and Lucha Underground also comes to mind when I think of my favorites just because mm. it was one of my first sort of like exposures to that level of violence on yeah. like a well produced um stage, I guess. Yep. Um again, uh, with Lucha Underground, um I'll come back to that in a minute. But um yeah, when Mox gets in there, you know he's there to fight. It's there for the brawl. Mm. It's not like you're gonna watch like a Zack Sabre Jr. or a Danielson or a Swerve Strickland or um someone who is more cleaner and smooth with how they wrestle. And it's like yeah. he can still he can still hang with like um like Danielson and um, Mox had a great um match before they formed the uh, Blackpool Combat Club. Yes, yeah. but it's one of those sort of things of like Moxley goes in there. I like wrestlers who go in there and they think it's real. It's why I'm a, it's why I'm a really big fan of Eddie Kingston is because I can watch Eddie Kingston cut a promo on someone like like Claudio Castagnoli, mm. and I'm like, oh, he hates him. He hates him for real. Yeah, and he's gonna go in there. And he's gonna like he's gonna actually like go in there and fight him. And that's what I love. I love that style of pro wrestling. Is that authentic sort of like no. Yeah, this is a in quotes fake sport, but we are going to fight like it isn't. Yeah, and and that believability. I know, um, taking away from like the um the physicality of it, but I know, again, we probably have to um think about how many times I've said Mick Foley on this conversation. But you know, mm. when he talks about being a bad guy, it's like you have to believe that you're the bad guy, and your justification is one hundred percent correct, no matter how wrong it actually may be. And that's the same the same thing. There, it's not not someone going in there and actually punching the heck out of someone or anything like that, but that character and that mindset, you've got to believe that you're in there for the fight of your life. And, and fans flock to that and they gravitate towards it. That's why Moxley has such a following, even before he was able to have the, the, I was going to say the reins, but that was an inadvertent pun, but ever since he had the reins taken off him and those constraints of the WWE machine, um, they, they could see that through it for sure. Um, You touched on Lucha Underground. Is that part of some of the other, matches that you've enjoyed from a deathmatch perspective yeah absolutely just um quickly touching on what you were saying about um that believability i i I harp on it enough in person but i want to put it down on um on audio form i guess um the biggest thing for me um coming into pro wrestling is that believability and like saying everything that i wanted to say with such a conviction of like up to a certain point um the villain can be justified up until that very last moment where they switch yeah. And I learned that specifically from watching uh, Davis Storm when he was the Messiah. Because yeah. I remember this one promo, I can't remember what show it was, but I was ringside for it. So I was a cameraman and he was talking about how the EPW title means everything to him. He built this company. He's put all of his like blood, his sweat and his tears. He's wasted time that he could be spending with his children, mm. but like, like strained relationships in his personal life and all that sort of thing. And you're like, 
oh man that's like that's really like that sabbath and genuinely like like a heart like he's opening up and it's a heart like heart-wrenching sort of thing because yeah. dave can carry himself with such a conviction and then just yeah. the last line he just goes and i'm gonna hold on to this title no matter how many people i have to break and how much i have to do and i'm just like oh my god and the switch is there yeah and he's just like oh maybe all these things would be justified if he said he wasn't going to like stomp a 10 year old to death to keep his title <laughs> like it's yeah. that like that by any means necessary is the crossing the line absolutely um but yeah lucha underground i absolutely um love i love going back and watching the highlights of it again it's one of them ones that i'm devastated is no longer around but i can go back and watch the highlights and one of the um one of them that i love going back and watching is um the swerve strickland now but at the time he was oh my god kill shot yeah okay yeah and so it was the kill shot versus AR Fox. I think it technically wasn't a death match. It was just the three stages of hell. But yep. it's it's in that it's in that realm of like it goes into more death matchy sort of stuff because there is glass, there is like this elevated sense of violence. And it does yep. help that everything was mic'd up in the Lucha Underground. So every kick sounded like a gunshot. Yeah. So and like even like Lucha Underground, the backstory of like I think AR Fox left Kill Shot to die in Iraq. And then he's come back for his <laughs> revenge or whatever. Oh my, mind blowing stuff. But um, yeah, Vampiro versus um, Pentagon is another one where um, Pentagon had become Pentagon Dark, and he was going through the roster, and he just kept breaking people's arms. That was his thing. Is he, he'd win the match, and then he'd just snap your arm because he's he's a bad guy. Yeah. And um, he was saying that he was answering to this like um, higher power or his like mentor or whatever. And then finally, Vampiro, who was on commentary, is like, well, I'm going to fight you in a death match, so you can, like, you have to stop. Yeah. And at the end of it... This is your retribution, go, yeah. Yeah, they go through this whole, like, death match, and he's beating him up, and then he finally has him, and he's going to, like, he's going to kill Vampiro, basically. And then it's revealed that, like, like Pentagon's mask is, like, ripped open, and he's, like, covered in blood. They're both covered in blood. And then it's revealed that Vampira was the master the whole time and he's finally passed the final test. And then Pentagon became good again. Oh. I don't know how, but <laughs> really sweet death match. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can put, let the, the, I guess the, the believability go for a little bit there when you have a really sick match before it as well. But no, that's, um, I didn't really know much about Lucha Underground either. And I didn't realize that they went into that, that nth degree in terms of that physicality. So um, I'll have to do my research a little bit better there and have a look at some Lucha Underground stuff. Um, I'll just, we did touch on this um, because this was the first place you started at the top of the roller coaster and you started talking about piranhas in tanks and things like that. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask you about the most absurd weapon you've seen, but I think that takes the cake. So um, what about the most absurd weapon that you've used or had used on yourself? So I, again, starting with a Canadian destroyer as soon as the bell rings, um, my first death match was I was tagging with Joel Bateman against the Pulse um, here in Perth for the, uh, the first No Ring show. Yep. Um, the end of the match, um, I've got Felix Young. Uh, he's got, I've got his arms behind his back and Joel Bateman appears from the back of the back of the venue with a whippersnipper. Yes. Um, I then proceeded to take a whippersnipper shot to the stomach, which is, with all the adrenaline still running, it's still 
top five, top ten worst things I've ever done. Because wow. <laughs> absolutely stupid of an idea as it was luckily enough in the footage joel hits me with it and it hits me a couple of times but luckily enough it was an electric whippersnipper so it unplugged um <laughs> so it managed to like get me pretty bad but then it unplugged itself so it stopped and i was like oh thank god because if that had kept going i might have cried i didn't want to do that until the at least after the match i was going to cry um, um sorry to interrupt but like the I don't want you to go into trade secrets. I don't want you to go into like the, the I don't think um, for many reasons, one, because there is the performance and the spectacle of it. And two, we definitely don't want anyone listening along going, Hey, this might be a good idea to try elsewise. But how does that not, that, how does that not completely hurt? Like there's, there's, there's no, for want of a better term, using the F word that wrestlers predominantly don't like <laughs> that. You can't fake copying a whippersnipper to the, the stomach. No, you cannot. I can I can assure you, as much as you may think uh, I could do that, you can't. Um, luckily enough, uh, because of uh, personal reasons, I wear uh, a singlet and butchers um, when I wrestle. Yeah. So I had two layers of clothes um, yeah. over the top of where I was getting hit with a whippersnipper. Yeah. Um, someone who I know has taken a whippersnipper to his bare back is a wrestler named Dan Steele. Yeah, uh, and I believe um, the footage I've seen uh, of him screaming uh, still haunts me. Um, so I feel like the reason we kind of got away with the whippersnipper spot in that regard is because, luckily enough, um, Joel wasn't trying to hit me. So Kafo, uh, Kafo, um, he wasn't trying to hit me. <laughs> yeah, so, of course. Uh, he didn't. He didn't give it as much welly as he would have hit um, Felix. But at the same time, again, I had two layers of. Um, of fabric over my over my soft gooey center so that is um i still got um like lacerations i still got cut up a little bit but it yeah. wasn't as severe as if it would have just been on bare skin thank yeah. christ yeah no no thank you very much uh yeah that you, you don't you want to you don't want to go out there in your randy Orton trunks and be doing that despite oh, that awesome no. 2004 match which that's a great I love a good I quit match. That's not an I quit match. It's a great hardcore match, but I love a good I quit match. Not yeah. been a good one in a while though. No, no, it's a little bit more um, uh, theatrical now. But it's I, you know, as an aside, that match with uh, Auden and Foley, one of my favorite matches of all time. Still don't like that mm. match wrestling. Crazy. Yeah, no, but... fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so whippersnipper, anything? I mean, how do you beat that? I don't think you can. But anything else come to mind that's been, so... you know, that world of absurd. Um, the old, the old classic one was I wrestled, um, Jared Slate and he put a milk carton on my head and he hit it with a broken piece of door. Um, trying to explain that to people, um, like, oh, what did you do on the weekend? And I just show them a photo of me with a, a milk crate on my head and then a giant bear of a man swinging a broken piece of door at me. Um, that, that sort of, um, I, I, I feel like I've been quite tame yeah so far with the weapons we've i've i've don't used like when you say have so used far. in death matches don't oh, like no, when you say like... so far because i genuinely do <laughs> care about you jimmy but... um i tell you what i wrestled um i re- i think the two the two in melbourne are coming to my mind now because i'm remembering them uh yeah I've, I've blocked them out i haven't um but uh i wrestled vixen um over there very uh death match legend over over in um over melbourne Yep. And I got the old, um, it's a classic. It's the old pizza cutter. I got that in the mouth. Oh, um, 
so like yeah the pizza cutter in the mouth i wrestled um, neil diamond cutter which was awesome uh, i wrestled him in a uh, aussie shitstorm death match where basically they just throw buckets of um, stuff at you so we had um uh, like driveway gravel um sabu <laughs> tax which are... <laughs> bear with me we had sabu okay. tax which are uh, barbed wire but you cut off just the pointy bits okay yeah it's a very it's a weapon sabu used to use a lot so it was that and thumbtacks um we had carpet strips so basically what you hold carpet down on flooring with i've had those used against me hmm. um and yeah salt and lemons sucks oh my god salt and lemons are the worst i reckon that would, um i was gonna say worse than a whippersnipper but probably not still but not ideal no 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 it's not ideal um I, as, as odd as it sounds, I regrettably didn't bleed as much in Melbourne as I would have hoped. So um, the salt and the and the lemons weren't too bad. They did get in the eye, which was which was a bit of a pain <laughs> in the ass. The most dangerous thing in that match was the um, was the bucket that Diamond Cutter threw at me, the bastard, because it um, it done my eye in and uh, my eye swelled up, and uh, I had a black eye trying to fly back to Perth. And trying to explain that to my mother when I landed, and she went, "What have you done to your eye?" And I went, "Bucket." <laughs> and um, she was not pleased. She was not pleased with Mister Diamond Cutter um, in the slightest. No, so, I, I, I doubt. I doubt she would be. Um, can I just rewind a little bit there? You mentioned there you didn't bleed as much as you would like to. Um, and I know we we haven't really talked about this before, but how important is the blood aspect of the deathmatch um spectacle um, um you know i know a lot of mainstream like wwe obviously move away from using blood now um because they don't see that as adding to the product but how hmm. important is it to the deathmatch spectacle to have the the visceral image of blood so in, i had a really good chat with um clint Margera about this actually um after our match um clint didn't bleed as much um i was i was pretty red as the, as they say yeah and um i feel like it's a thing that it's a thing in a lot of um uh not I don't want to call them mate they are major it's the top promotions in in australia really mm. is they do try and shy away from blood in some aspects yeah. Um, come into mind, uh, Mitch Waterman versus Buddy Matthews at MCW. Um, Buddy's nose, uh, not Buddy, um, Mitchie's nose started bleeding. Yeah. And they didn't stop the match. Um, obviously, I don't think it was on purpose, or if it was, that's really awesome of all things to bleed from your nose because you're so <laughs> like, hyped up for this match against like such an athlete like Buddy Matthews. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that comes to mind is Wrestle Rampage. We had Corn Dog versus um close personal friend Julian Ward mm. in a um in the ball rope match. And again, Jules opens like a tap when he yeah. leads. Um Taylor King at the most um in the in the cage match against the Don again got a little bit of blood. Yeah. It's that sort of like if it elevates what you're doing, then I feel like it's an acceptable thing to have in the match. So when I was talking to Clint about it, I was like, oh that's like in comparison he didn't bleed as much as I did. Yeah. Um, his take on it was, well, I don't mind that much. And I went, well, that's good. Um, but the other <laughs> thing being that in in the story of the match, I am on a five-match deathmatch losing streak. Yeah. Clint Margera is flying over here, deathmatch legend in the UK, North Ultraviolent champion, about to make it a world title. I am the 100% underdog. 
So the underdog having that moment of fighting from underneath, bleeding completely, like covered in blood, and then trying to fight back. I think it it reminds me of um, like Eddie Guerrero versus C, um, not CJL, God, <laughs> JBL. Yeah. Shout out CJL. But um, Eddie Guerrero versus JBL, where Eddie got a little bit too red. Yeah. But that, like the underdog factor of like, oh my God, this person is like, they're, they're throwing everything they've got into this match. They're literally throwing their blood. They're fighting through all of this pain like that level of like it's it's why it's why I do love death matches like it's what attracted to me in the in the beginning is like this just unbreakable drive to win that you'll just throw every single ounce of yourself at your opponent at whatever is being thrown at you and you just cop it and you just keep going until you can't keep going anymore and it is yeah that visual of like um like more recently me and um again me and felix young we have we had this match that basically not beknownst to the fans but like on a personal level and sort of like in a career level we've been feuding for years because we've always been so similar so this sort of like it's a level of like hatred that we have for each other because we've always been put as competitors was sort of thrown into that match so again we were both just throwing everything at each other both of us are just like bleeding and it just adds to the whole like spectacle of like, Oh my God, like what, like, wow, that's like next level sort of like, it's an additional like factor of storytelling. Yeah. Big time. And that's why you, you see it in movies. I mean, if you look at the Rocky films, when they, their faces become more bloodied, swollen and things like that, it does. It adds to that underdog. It adds to that that brutality of that contest that's going on. I guess the only difference is when you're watching Rocky, you're going, oh, CGI, makeup, whatever. Probably not CGI, mm. CGI in um, the 70s, but, you know. Um, but, you know, you're seeing that and, you know, you see all the, um, the, the exposés on pro wrestling and things like that, and that's not what this show is. But there's a difference between seeing someone who's like, oh, that's a blood capsule versus, okay, that's the true legit thing. You you can just feel it in an audience and you just know the difference and and it gives it that that um, that authenticity, authenticity and that, um, yeah, definitely that, uh, that, that spectacle as well. Um, with Deathmatch, I, I mentioned Rocky. So obviously, that's mainstream movie. Do you mm. think that um, the Deathmatch genre, whether or not it's, a, I guess, a fully fledged um a company or whether the genre itself can go mainstream you've you've touched on how aw um that the second biggest promotion is starting to incorporate it can it can it be embraced by the the mainstream um wrestling fan um it's when when i talk about deathmatch wrestling like even on even in like a smaller sort of um like bubble of like um specifically dude where's my ring this company in perth Mm. um we we really define it as a niche within a niche yep and it's this like w- with the mainstream i feel i feel like it's it is that um we spoke about it before we before we started the interview this different flavors of ice cream um idea yeah of like everyone likes different flavors of ice cream i remember i remember marcus pitt um <laughs> marcus pitt or brett said um everyone likes their different flavors of ice cream i like the wwe yeah 
Charlie likes throwing himself on the ground. Like it's it's that sort of like <laughs> it's, it's a, it is a different flavors of ice cream. Like I feel yeah. like WWE has been doing it for so like for so long in such a um, accessible way that that is like the standard. It's it's it is very vanilla sort of flavor of ice cream. I feel like Deathmatch is the niche of the niche, exactly like um, comedy wrestling is. Yeah, or okay, yeah. like um, a catcher's catch can sort of like um, ch- very chain heavy, very like shoot style sort of sort of grappling area. sort of thing. More, yeah, very much yeah. more like grappling and that sort of stuff. Like a um, Josh Barnett's blood sport. Again, it's like a niche within a niche of like, okay, is this here is this thing, here is a completely lower level, like not lower level of it, but here is a very specific subset that is the only thing we're marketing yeah and i feel like i feel like deathmatch can at a certain point become mainstream i feel like AEW has done a very very good job as much as people on twitter and facebook would have you not believe because mm. um everything is jim Cornette um yelling at <laughs> a camera for some reason um i feel like the I feel, and I feel like a lot of people, um, I think that Don, I'm going to speak on behalf of him because I can, because he's not here. Um, <laughs> he would prefer to see death matches used at the end of a long blood feud. Yeah. So sort of like, um, like a Don and Taylor King, if they were so inclined to do a death match. It's yeah. that sort of like the long-term story, like the story of building and they, do this match and it doesn't go to plan and they do this match and Don cheats to win and they do this match and then Taylor wins, but he doesn't actually because the referee was knocked out. So they have to do it and they have to settle it in this match with very few rules. Yeah. And like the, the, the main rule being you have to incapacitate your opponent. That's why I'm absolutely loving people doing Texas death matches on AEW. It's that, You have to have them incapacitated for, or it's like a standing 10 count, and then you can beat them. I think that was the old rules. But now it's just like you can only win by submission or like that's it. It's submission only. Yeah, submission, knockout, like incapacitate, yeah. That sort of thing. So like um, there's one coming up that I'm so, again, so excited for. Swerve Strickland, who was kill shot versus Hangman Page in a Texas death match. Yeah, that's am, uh, this weekend if you want oh, to date the, the podcast. but <laughs> I'm going to date this podcast so badly. I'm foaming at the mouth thinking about that match. Because, again, it's two people who aren't – you like Hangman has been in Texas Deathmatch. Strickland hasn't been in a Deathmatch in as many years as it's been since Lucha Underground. Oh, and wow, now, yeah. Because they're in this blood feud because um, Hang, like because Strickland thinks that Hangman has too many opportunities – but then Strickland's taken it too far because he's literally gone to his house and has like laid a t-shirt on his sleeping baby child or whatever. And then and people wonder why wrestling's this... absurd. <laughs> it's so good. But then it's leading to this, like, well, I'm, I want to kill you. I'm going to in a yeah. death match. And that's sort yeah. of like, I feel like that is the way wrestling is wrestling as like a mainstream medium is going to accept death match wrestling as a, not a regular every single Friday, here's a death match. Yeah. It's a, here is, like, this is a mythical thing. It's like the Hell in a Cell used to be. 
before yes. they made a fucking pay. It's it's like I'm glad WWE you made making a pay per view. Yeah, it is like a it's like WWE making a pay per view called fucking death match, and there's four death matches, and for some <laughs> yeah. reason, and for some reason, Roman Reigns is in all four of them. Like, oh, that, he'd have to show up. Yeah, he'd have to show up and he'd have to defend his belt. Yeah, <laughs> so it's one of them sort of things of like here is the the stakes have been raised because we can't have this in a regular match yeah so we need to escalate it so it like uh it was the steel cage back in the 80s then it was the hell in a cell then it was a tlc then for yeah. a little bit when uh mvp wrestled um the undertaker it was a inferno match yeah it's like the, um niche reference it's these very <laughs> like at the the end of a feud here is your blow off it is a texas death match yeah that is the way i feel like deathmatch wrestling can be um brought to the mainstream um new japan um not new japan but oh yeah new japan is doing texas deathmatches because of again john moxley and lance archer they did a texas deathmatch for the u.s title yeah um it is it, yeah if you can use deathmatch properly and not oversaturate it and i feel like that's a that's a big um that's a big problem it's like but even then deathmatch promotions are popular um in very certain ways i feel like the original model of um, dmdu was a very good example of that yep. if you have a separate division which is just deathmatch wrestling you have a separate division which is just your heavyweights and you have a separate division which is your tag teams yeah and if you can build it around that like um big japan pro wrestling big in japan um that, that's a dumb way to phrase that but it's, um, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a big promotion in japan called big japan um but they do a lot of death matches uh gcw uh probably the new pwg because pwg has taken a bit of a backseat after covid and stuff yeah um, obviously obviously super dragon's partner's sick so obviously wishing her the best yeah but gcw has taken that mantle of being like the top indie and they do a lot of death matches. Nick Gage is a big star for them. Um, Matt Cardonia, um, the formerly Zack Ryder, is again another guy that does death matches. Mm. Uh, Charlie Evans um, from Australia, big in big in the states, does a lot of death matches. Um, Sawyer Wreck, um, again Akira, um, a lot of these people that do death matches, but it's not specifically. A promotion just for death matches you can do that like um icw no holds barred they do um instead of ropes they have chains okay yep so that's sort of like it's like a blood sport sort of like fighting in the chains or whatever that sort of stuff and that's sort of like how they build their reputation but again some they don't always do nothing but death matches so yeah it's, it's um, about picking the spots and and you know absolutely. making things make sense which i think I think even for non-deathmatch wrestling companies, you've got to make things make sense. Um, and if it's just the same thing you're spamming over and over and over without rhyme or reason, then that particular promotion or that particular uh, wrestler may not have the same longevity as a as a company that might space it out and and sort of, you know, be able to pull those levers to be able to say, okay, we're going close to the edge here. Let's rein it back, give people a breathe or a let up or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Would you say, based on that, that at the moment the deathmatch scene or that little niche uh, within a niche is, is thriving? Um, I'd say so, absolutely. Um, uh, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak on, again, behalf of people. I feel like um, 
with the, the the dude where's my ring shows here in Perth. I feel like we've been we what was supposed to be just a one off show because um some people had gotten behind the idea of doing um deathmatch in Perth and, and no ring stuff. It sort of evolved into its own um little beast itself, and um I feel like given time um everything can everything can grow and everything can get better um again like i said charlie evans um is big into deathmatch wrestling he's now over in the states with her husband um like wrestling across the entire united states but she's doing deathmatches that she probably couldn't do in australia yeah and i feel like that's sort of the same the same deal over here is like there is a deathmatch scene if we can cultivate it i know dmdu is now under new management or whatever but like if we can cultivate the scene and we can make sure that we're doing it in the right way and we're not just sort of copping out and throwing two people who aren't experienced in there together and then just going oh well and now you can do a death match because you've been wrestling for a year mm. it's you have to take it in you have to take into consideration that people train for years to be good professional wrestlers they want to be safe they want to take care of their opponent they want to better the scene and in doing so you can do that through the vein of deathmatch wrestling i've had people since we've started doing the no ring shows i've had people who have never thought about doing deathmatches before or never considered it being an option have come to me and said hey if i do one i want it to be you and that yeah. is a massive like that's like, a huge I've, 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 it's an absolute huge feather in my cap because we i i have such a passion for deathmatch wrestling and for making sure that it's done the right way and it's done in as in, in quotes as safe as it possibly can be mm. because i want i want it to i want it to thrive and i want it to grow and i want to be able to as much as I, i'm uh, as much as i am a deathmatch wrestler i am a professional wrestler first and foremost before i'm anything else james hartness is a professional wrestler the deathmatch stuff is a lovely bonus that i can do while still being a good and safe professional wrestler. Yeah, and that's a huge part of it. And I think that's why um, your attitude to deathmatch wrestling is one that I, I really do respect and why I wanted to chat to you about it because I think you have that awareness and that understanding um, of just how important it is to be good fundamentally, good safe uh, worker, as they say, and then you're putting the the extra accoutrements onto it. Um with that in mind, as we round the corner here, the last thing I'm just going to ask you on deathmatch wrestling, and uh, we saved it to the last part of this before we do all the fun stuff about where you're going to be next and where we can find you and, and what the future holds for, for Jimmy, is uh, me. I'm unsure on deathmatch wrestling. I love wrestling. I'm a big old nerd for it. And, you know, I probably lean more AEW than WWE, but my favorite wrestler is Mick Foley. But for mm. someone like me who might be unsure, a little tentative about checking a deathmatch show out or deathmatch uh, match online or whatever it may be. Uh, how would you sell it to to someone like me or, or maybe not specifically me? Cause you'd probably just lure some cheese macaroni on a stick and you'd get me there. But how would you, <laughs> how would you market or, or sell the idea of a deathmatch show or deathmatch to, to me or someone like me? So I always, um, I'm going to touch on a point I, I brought up earlier is I always like to look at um, deathmatch wrestling as, especially um, the no ring stuff that we've been doing more recently, is I like to describe it as like an art, is it's mm -hmm. a performance art where you can go in there and 
two people are going in and they're using their bodies as the canvas to perform for the audience of people. It is, it, it does, I feel like it does appeal to like that, um, the the caveman or like Roman era, uh, bringing up the Roman empire, but like that Colosseum <laughs> sort of You like, do often think about it. Again, exactly. I think about it more often than not, but um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is using the human body as a canvas going into these sort of matches. And I feel like, it's you can you can agree no sorry i'm glad you brought up the rocky films because i was trying to think of like how can i how can i associate it with movies and the only thing i could think of was when luke gets his hand cut off in star wars and i don't know if that really <laughs> i don't know if that tracks that, or not. that that's but the it, whippersnipper going wrong yeah absolutely but um it is i feel like it's that good versus evil is like i feel like mm. if you're going to watch deathmatch then seek out proper either Japanese death matches or I'm going to say reputable death matches where you can either watch carnage. You can watch like the carnage train wreck, like, Oh, I can't look away. I'm going to watch it or whatever. Or you can, um, in my opinion, watching uh, like dude, where's my ring. A lot of our matches are very story based is it's very much like there is a relatively clear, good guy, a clear, bad guy, good versus evil. Who's going to win. Um, sort of like I, I have a note here i'm not too sure what the what the point i was trying to make was is <laughs> i don't i don't watch dressage at the olympics i've seen clips of it and i'm sure it's it is very impressive i would never be able to train a horse to do anything let alone <laughs> for it to do a dance <laughs> but it's one of them sort of things of like it's i can appreciate that there is a skill and an art form to going in there putting so much on the line that it's just the the connection is there with the audience that like that's why i like using more like household based items yeah is like um it's the connection with the audience of like yeah you probably aren't going to know what it's like to get curb stomped through a bundle of light tubes but i'm sure you've accidentally put lemon in a cup and you've gone oh shit that really hurts yeah. It's that on like a larger scale of like, oh no, there's a whole lemon in my hand, and now my hat, like my my hand's been put in like thumbtacks or whatever. Yeah. Well, you've accidentally like cut yourself with scissors, and you're like, ah, god damn it! But you now you know what it's like. Yeah. Um. Yeah. When it comes to death matches, like to try and to try and sell it, I always try and sell it as if I'm doing it, and I'm okay, then there's no reason you can't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry for me <laughs> yeah don't yeah pray for yeah don't cry for me i'm already dead <laughs> <laughs> i think you you've come up with um two two names for future shows there for, for you guys i think don't cry for me i'm already dead and um or don't cry for me and i'm already death match um or i think the other one you, you sort of slipped in there is like when life gives you lemons and just dot 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 i think um because you've got some pretty funny show names that I've seen pop up on the social. So with that in mind, um, what sort of uh, future goals have you um, got for yourself there? And um, with those future goals, where can we see you work towards them? So, yeah, uh, future goals at this point is I want to do a tour of the States and a bit of Canada. I want to go back to the UK for the first time since I was 10 years old um and then uh japan this is this is deathmatch and non-deathmatch i feel like yep. um i need to hone my craft yep. uh, regardless of um whether i'm doing deathmatches or i'm wrestling as a 
regular wrestler i suppose mm-hmm. um all those sort of things uh yeah those those are always my top three just like america japan the uk are always all those sort of things of like if that's if, like if i'm going to learn more about this world that i'm in i need to go elsewhere yeah again i would love to go back to melbourne I'd love to go to adelaide to wrestle i hate sydney um even <laughs> brisbane the, the scene over there is um is blossoming with people yeah. like bobby bishop and um aj history are putting a lot of time over there yeah um and yeah um future stuff coming up uh if you'd like to see me uh don't don't cry for me i'm already dead um we have a <laughs> um we have the last uh, i'm going to date it really badly i apologize uh, um, no, we it's have fine we've done it plenty of the year. <laughs> um uh, attack on seasonal which is happening on the, I'm going to guess it's the 24th. I'm going to get it wrong and I'm going to get yelled at. It's the 24th, banger, look at me go. Um, <laughs> on the 24th of uh, November. And then I will be under the bright lights of Williton Stadium for yep. EPW Reawakening on December 16th. And I'm wrestling three people that I wish I spoke about more in this, but it wasn't about regular wrestling. I'm wrestling <laughs> Solomon Blackwell, Alex Kingston and Robbie Hart uh, for the very, very coveted EPW Invitational Tournament trophy, which again is the is the money in the bank equivalent of EPW, gets you a title shot whenever you'd like. Um, those are my two coming up. Obviously, we've got uh, a big weekender um, next year with Elimination Chamber coming to Perth. Mm-hmm. There's various bits and bobs. There's the EPW Super Show on the Friday beforehand um dude where's my ring is running a two-nighter at seasonal on the friday and a saturday matinee show um and then yeah i'll be i'll be mostly epw and dude where's my ring based over the next year or so yeah hopefully hopefully see me in melbourne adelaide if you if you listen to this and you like wrestling tell people that you'd like to see me in your in your state other than new south wales I hope you could book there because you just everyone will hate you and you'll hate being there. It's just win-win. This is misery loves company. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a busy six months coming up um for pro wrestling, especially here in Western Australia. Um we spoke about it with um Bailey from Optus Stadium earlier on uh, in our run so far about how exciting that's gonna ha- be to have WWE here in mm. Perth as well. But um, what about yourself specifically? What are the socials? Um, where can people find you and uh, jump on and, and be, uh, I guess, look into your life there on the social medias? Okay, I am on every social media at James Hartness PW for Pro Wrestler. I'm on that on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, stream EPW on Vimeo. Um, there's free matches on the YouTube as well. Um, watch the uh, watch dude where's my ring on youtube all of my matches so far are up there apart from the most recent one which should be going up soon um drink brutal libre drink seasonal brewing company um i'm paid to say those i was gonna say you uh, just slip those in you're supposed I'm to slip paid. those I'm in and, th- and throw me a card and while you say it if you're gonna start <sighs> this is cash for comments now is it Oh, yeah, well, I I get I get paid in beer, so I just I just do it every now and again and hope they keep paying me in beer. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I am about the place. Uh, I usually post stupid things on Instagram. Um, my Twitter is more professional wrestling, and I, sometimes I remember I have a Facebook. 
if you're I lucky. I don't think many people remember they have a Facebook these days unless they oh, need to jump a onto a community page. You have a MySpace, do you? No. No. Oh, you know what? I, I could see you typing <laughs> in in mixed um, mixed upper and lower case letters. I could see that. And with your black oh, and white X, skin. Oh, uppercase X, lowercase X, Jimmy Hartness underscore raw, uh, uppercase, lowercase X. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm all about it. I'm bringing oh, yeah. it back. I've, I've decided right now I'm bringing MySpace back. I don't think you can. I, I think I tried oh, to jump on my space. I can do whatever I want, mate. Oh, okay. No, there we go. The black gloves back out. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks so much for having a chat. It's been good to catch up. Any final words there for our um, listening viewership before we let you go? Uh, yeah, thank you for uh, listening to me ramble about this uh, very silly niche within a niche that I do. And uh, if you excuse me, I need to go and pick up all these names I've dropped this entire interview. <laughs> It has been a, a very heavy name drop episode, but I think there has been a lot to get out of it as well in terms of not only a glimpse into the world of professional wrestling with the first part of the conversation and, and guess how you get involved with it and so your fandoms, um, even if it is West Ham, I'm surprised you didn't um, slip more British Bulldog in it. Um, but oh, I because we didn't circle back to Brit- we didn't circle back to wrestlers. I had British Bulldog, I had Big Daddy, I had Giant Haystacks. Yeah, come I was down, just a stereotype. But <laughs> I had Fit Finley, I had William Regal. There's just going to list Taylor. I was, list... I was all over it. Uh, British wrestlers now. Um, yeah, but... let me list all the British people I know. <laughs> Starting with A. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> So, no, really, thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been a fascinating insight into um, the deathmatch uh, scene and that that form of professional wrestling as well. I'm still reeling from Piranha Tanks. So, um, oh, the James... Piranha Tanks. I'm bringing, it, I'm bringing it to Perth, I reckon. Is there piranhas in Perth? I'll find them. Yeah, good luck with that. So, oh, I didn't even know... get to the crocodile deathmatch. Oh, man, we've got to do this again. I think that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good teaser to leave us on. So, James, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, if you're not on a work computer or device at the moment, have a look at Crocodile Deathmatch. But uh, James Hartness, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute blast, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Just an incredible interview and uh, an incredibly long interview. So thank you very much for sticking around and uh, and keeping us in your ear holes all that time. But it was one of those conversations that just organically just uh, kept on throwing up things that were just so interesting. So I didn't want to cut it short. didn't want to cut Jimmy short. So, um, you know, again, a little bit longer than our usual runtime. But wow, what a what a heck of a niche within a niche, as, uh, as James said there, in terms of... Uh, piranhas and crocodiles and whippersnippers oh my so um definitely uh make sure you follow him on the socials there and uh you know jimmy's such a charismatic bloke as well if deathmatch wrestling if you haven't been able to have your arm twisted and it's probably a scary thing to say there given the uh the magnitude pop pop of those sort of uh weaponry in that that you know arm twist might actually be quite a lethal thing but um he also does wrestle at other companies that don't necessarily dive deep into the uh deathmatch uh, circuit um you know you've probably you know being a, uh, a fan uh, of the show or or hate listening so thank you for that anyway it still helps the numbers uh, very much need to boost those numbers but um 
he wrestles for other companies there that don't dive deep into that death match. Uh, things like EPW, um, Perth, which I know that they've got their, their big show in December this year and also um, a Super Show in Perth February next year. That's going to combine a lot of the Australian wrestling greats just before WWE bring their... Um, their massive production that is Elimination Chamber to Optus Stadium, and uh, which is bound to be a good time, even though I hate Optus Stadium and Optus Stadium hates me. So uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for listening. It's a big week coming up. Touched on it on the t- at the top of the show. There we've got the Cricket World Cup coming up. Uh, so go Australia. Um, we've got the AFL Draft, which I'm a big nuffy for. Just uh, seeing all these 18-year-old kids who I've got no idea who they are. I'm pretending that I know the ins and outs of their game thanks to Kevin Shifter-Sheehan on all the AFL media. And, uh, and because I'm a nerd, I don't know if you've picked this up, but because I'm a nerd, we got Doctor Who returning with the best Doctor of all time, David Tennant as well. So a busy week. Um, next week on our show, the, the stuff you probably care about rather than you know my random musings, is uh, we got uh, from going in front of the camera back to behind the camera with a fascinating uh, guest from the east coast of Australia, well, originally from the west coast, uh, with uh, involved in the basketball world. So uh, stay tuned. That's going to be a really great interview and uh, going to learn a lot from that as well. So um, as always, if you've liked what we've done or got any feedback, constructive or otherwise, um, please hit me up on uh, DM. Uh, you can hit us on Instagram at HeyPalImCoachable on X, X. Um, you can hit us up on Hey Pal Pod. Uh, also, I've got the Gmail gimmick as well. So, Hey Pal, I'm mailable at gmail.com as well. So, um, really have appreciated uh, all the feedback that's come through, all the nice words, all the not so nice words, because I do learn from them. Uh, in my in the real world, I'm I'm all about learning and development. So, um, yeah, anything that you have to to provide us in the way of things that you might think make the show a little bit better or, or that I want to, that you want us to keep on doing, um, yeah, please let us know because uh, without you, my loyal uh, listening viewership, uh, this show doesn't exist. I mean, otherwise it's just a random man talking in his spare room, hopefully not uh, disturbing his housemate too early on a Saturday morning. So um, thank you very much for being part of it. And also, if you have liked what we're doing and you like the interviews um, uh, and like just the vibes of the show, I don't know, I think I'm too old to say vibes, but if you like the vibes of the show, please um, rate us on your, your streaming platform. Um, it does help the boffins with the algorithms and all that sort of thing. It helps get our, uh, our show onto uh, more uh, earbuds and, um, yeah, and, you know, Share it as well. You know, we've got a 10 million social media presences, um, just a little bit less than myself personally. Um, please, yeah, give us a share ski. Um, you know, let your, your mates, your, your friends, your enemies, um, people on the street, maybe not people on the street, but just let them know we exist. And uh, yeah, just, or, you know, just keep listening. You know, I, I'm just grateful that if you've uh, come through two hours of talking about uh, light tubes and uh, I still can't get over the piranhas, um, that you're liking what we're doing. And, um, and I appreciate that you're tuning in each week when people aren't sick to um, welcome me into your weekly podcast rotation. So despite saying this would be brief, I have uh, babbled on longer than a filibuster. So uh, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. On Hey Pal, I'm Coachable.